Welcome everyone to Rock Animation Podcasts. Uh, we are on episode two of season four of Dive Cuts. Hard to believe, um, but here we are. We're gonna do some Mizzou basketball talking, uh, some cocktail sipping. At least I'm gonna sip on a cocktail. I don't know about Matt. Uh, I am your host Sam Snelling. With me, as always, good friend, uh, Indianapolis Hoosier, and. Caleb Brown's number one fan, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? Doing well. Got to lock this guy up this weekend. Got to get it done. Got to happen. It's got to happen. Just want to come out of the, off the top with it. It's got to lock that down. Can't miss. Got to get it. <laughs> so, for anyone who can't tell, um, Matt's being a little facetious. Uh, he's sarcastic. He's a little sarcastic about it. Um, yeah, so we can we can jump right into some uh, some recruiting talk. So Caleb uh, uh, Brown is Kobe Brown's younger brother. Uh, Mizzou offered him last year ish, and last uh, yeah, last July. Um, and he's had sort of a weird recruitment. So he hasn't really blown up with high majors. There's some high majors who have offered. Apparently, he cut a final six list with Missouri, Minnesota, and West Virginia, who hasn't even offered. Uh, and then three mid-majors in Mercer, uh, UW-Milwaukee, and what was the last one? I can't remember what the third one was, but I think that's... Oh, Grand Canyon. Oh, Bryce Drew's new spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, like... I. I who was the coach? It was Bryce Drew. So, uh, Grand Canyon University, which is the online university, which has like the best student section in all of college basketball, uh, also in hot pursuit of Kobe's little brother. Um, so, because he hasn't really blown up, it, it sort of, I guess, leads us to believe that the pursuit from Missouri may not be the hottest. So, I don't know that if he's a take or not. I mean, I guess we'll find out if he commits to Missouri, then he's a take. Yeah. Um, but it would seem unlikely, based upon how like the last few months of his recruiting have gone, that he is a take for Missouri right now. What would have changed in August that was not the case in May, which was not the case in March? Like, unless you were hoping to get a grassroots season or hope that you could get the dead period lifted um, had we legitimately flattened a curve to go and see spots and to do visits. Um, you know, what would he, you know, maybe he would have been able to improve his stock, but EAB Tennessee, which is the uh, Adidas program he plays for, has been playing in non-circuit events. Like they've been going down to Georgia and some other places and playing. So it's not like he hasn't, been out you know playing other games the issue is that he's mostly been on live streams and not been able to be evaluated in person but presumably that a lot of staffs have been able to at least like get eyes on him again um i believe he was also hurt during the prep season two and that may have also contributed a factor there but i don't have specifics on that i just remember reading somewhere that he had been nicked up a little bit but regardless if you believe that, you know, Missouri was in hot pursuit and there was a committable offer. And especially in this climate where we're seeing a lot of 
top 150 guys pull the trigger early, um, I would have thought, had there been a legit take there, that he would have come off the board earlier. Uh, instead, Missouri, I think I read these names off to you before we got on air, Missouri had offered um, David Joplin, Legend Geeter, and uh, James Graham this spring, all at that kind of combo forward position, that more perimeter-oriented stretch spot. So, and Caleb, he's he's not quite as tall as, as Kobe is. Uh, I think he's like listed as six five or six six. Six six to twenty, I think, is where he's. Yeah, I think I think you would still kind of consider him a like a big guard. Um, but they were still offering know. other wings this spring. They still offered. Exactly. Yeah. So they, you know, if you if you want to go that route, they offered Peyton Watson, Zach Hicks, Shane Dizoni, Sean Duver Gordon, Blake Wesley, and James White. So they've. So either there's probably been, you know, between six and ten guys they've offered this spring, and presumably, you know, there's some top 100 guys that would have been takes. Like they got involved with Blake Wesley, like heavily this spring. So I guess that gets back to our point here, which is what has necessarily changed right now, as opposed to what was true a couple months ago. Missouri's continued to shop. You would think that if they were looking to you know, secure commitments early in a cycle, especially one like this, and he was a take, he would have been in the boat a couple months ago, given the connections there and the familiarity with the staff. So um, that's what makes me a little bit skeptical, that, that Mizzou might be the pick. Now, we might get hit to Saturday or Sunday, and that's proven wrong, and given how quietly the staff sort of operates, you can't always rule that out. But, you know, I look at it and I don't think, oh, yeah, that's a slam dunk you know, sort of commit situation there. I think Missouri's behavior and kind of Kobe's behavior has been, you know, we're both going to survey our options and see what's out there. Um, and even if you think, you know, okay, they've recruited Brown, you and I have talked about how wing isn't like a position where they're in desperate need right now. So I think it's one of those deals where if he commits, they get someone in the boat and, you know, they've, filled one of six spots but if he doesn't I, I don't necessarily think I would take it I would read too much into it yeah and I think like we've talked about like the wing spot and you look at some of the guys that they're after and they are more developmental so if they end up taking him um, yeah you know I think it's it's not a position of need so you're able to kind of bring him along slowly which there's an advantage there I mean he does have some um, I don't know abilities that you like as a uh, as somebody who scouts basketball. Like you know, he's he's pretty skilled and he's big, um, which means he's probably going to be fairly tough to guard. Uh, it also kind of means that he may have some trouble uh, defending at at you know the high major level. Um, you know, but I think there are a lot of similarities with his game and his brother's game. Um, you know, they're both these sort of like big oversized, uh, you know, guards who are used to having the ball in their hand a lot at the high school level. And so there's a lot of that that can translate, um, you know, to, to being a productive college player. So I don't, I don't know that I would like, I, I'll just won't be upset either way. No, yeah. you know, if, if he, if he commits to, uh, Grand Canyon or Minnesota or, or UW Milwaukee, um, yeah, I've, good luck to him. Um, you know, I have a pretty good understanding that the the Browns are a great family, and 
Uh, you know, Kobe is, is obviously represented Missouri well. He's a, a, a great student, if people don't know. <laughs> he was like uh, academic all-SEC this past year, which, yep. uh, I mean, you know, you're making that transition uh, from high school to college. I don't know about anybody else, but I did not do that well my freshman year. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, it seems to come from a pretty stable family and, and good family and smart, you know, smart guys. And I think he'll, he'll make a good decision, but I, I tend to think if I had to, you know, sort of, I guess, try to figure out what's going to happen, I think based upon what we know about who Missouri has been recruiting, the level which they've been recruiting those guys, um, you know, who they're really looking at, I think more likely, uh, you know, Caleb is, is probably destined for someplace other than Missouri. Um, but that's just my, my read on the situation. It just doesn't seem like the, the way his spring and summer has gone doesn't really feel like uh, Missouri is in a position to take him as a, uh, as a, a wing commit right now. Yeah, I would agree on that on that front. And I think it'll be interesting to see what they sort of do with that position because I was doing this earlier today. When you play with the kind of the, the open scholarship chart, you can – Depending on how you want to classify Christian Braun or Parker Braun, I don't know why I said Christian Brown. But if you wanted to classify how you classify Parker, if you want to, you know, say, hey, we saw him in the post last year and he wasn't great against you know, some of the SEC's better bigs, maybe he's more of a four than a five. Now you've got an open spot at the post, which is where we've sort of talked about Yaya Keda fitting. Now, if you think, okay, Parker for, you know, whatever issues are there can still guard you know, smaller posts and can still handle some of that work. Let's put him, you know, in the same mix as Tillman and Wilmore. Well, now you've got an open spot with Mitchell Smith and Ed Chang. And now you get into a question of, do you want to classify Kobe Brown as a three or a four? So realistically, you may have one to two spots kind of in that. I look at it as they're going to have one to two spots in that kind of combo forward post area. Um, so it's not, but I would say with Tillman going, you're going to be down to one guy in that spot. Even if Mitchell Smith goes, you could still, you know, find two guys to play combo for. You're going to need to take a post. So that's why I've always sort of assessed like Caleb to bring it back to our point is being less of a priority, less of a need is because there, you could still find two to three guys to play the four. You'll have one that's going to play the five next year. Um, so if you could find, so that's more of a, a need in this class. Um, they're going to lose three ball handlers, like we've talked about. Um, we'll see what Pinson does. Um, right now, I've got him classified as a combo guard, but would you move him to point guard next year um, if he decides to stick around? I don't know, but you're going to need three guys in that kind of point guard combo guard spot. So that's really where I think if you're doing the math here, you know you're going to need one post and you're going to need three ball handlers. What you do with the other two spots really, I think, comes down to how you want to classify guys like Parker Brown and, and Kobe Brown. Where do you want to slot them in the order, if that makes any sense? So, um, winging combo forward, you could take guys, but they're not, they're probably, you know, in the fifth or sixth spot uh, that exists right now. So that's how I think about it. Yeah, I always look at it, uh, and I think I wrote something. I want to say it was like last summer we were kind of breaking down positions. Um, maybe it was two two years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, but 
trying to kind of explain the evolution of of this you know positionless basketball and i always look at it as you want uh, basically two guys in each of six spots um so you pretty much have like your your ball handling point guard you have a a pure post so on this roster uh i mean you could probably classify you know xavier as a uh, as as more of a combo guard, but um, I have Bugs but, and Drew Smith is the point. Yeah, but drugs and uh, both Drews, I guess you could say, are are in that point guard. Whereas you know Jeremiah Tillman is your post. Uh, is your post. Uh, Jordan Wilmore is a is a pure post. So those are guys that you're really not going to expect a whole lot away from the basket, um, other than maybe to set some screens. So really, you're asking those guys to. Um, you know, stay within ten feet of the basket uh, on defense, and uh, and really only step out beyond that on offense if you're going to set a screen at somebody. So then you kind of get your combo guard. Uh, you get what I was sort of considered a um, you know a ball handling wing, uh, and then like a, a combo forward, and then a, like a, a stretch post position, like a post player. I think, and th- a good example of that is is Mitchell Smith. Yeah. Um, a guy who has the size uh, to defend in and around the basket, um, you know, and has enough skill that you don't mind him stepping away and, and, and being a little bit more of a player. Um, you know, so those those six positions are, are kind of where you want to have probably at least two bodies, um, you know, because you look at somebody like, uh, uh, like Mark Smith, I think Mark Smith you could kind of classify as that, that ball handling wing. Um, a guy that you will trust if, if you know, he has to kind of bring the ball up the court. Let's say you have a couple point guards in foul trouble and, you know, and combo guard is, is hurt or something like that. Um, like you still want to have two guys who can handle the ball on the floor. Uh, and so that's like, that's Mark Smith. And, and um, so I think if you're kind of looking at it from that perspective, what you were saying kind of makes sense. And I would kind of put, um, you know, uh, and so th- I think this is the nice thing about about Kobe Brown, is I think Kobe really seemed to fit better a lot lot more so at the natural wing position, yeah. um, and he handles the ball well enough that I think like you would trust him to bring the ball up against another wing. Um, you know I think his younger brother is a little bit more in in that vein. So you know if if it, I don't think they need that because I think that's. Um, I, you know, I think when you've got like Torrance Watson and Javon Pickett, um, both those guys, I'm, I'm not super comfortable with them handling the ball. <laughs> <laughs> so I would focus way more on ball handlers in this class, uh, which, I, you know, I think Caleb can fit that bill a little bit, you know, as, as like a bigger wing who can handle the rock a little bit. Yeah, if you were going to take, that's where you would sort of go with it. So that's that's really... I think when you come down to it, why we've talked a lot about Tamar Bates kind of being that guy, because I think he's sort of, you know, I look at Mark Smith as, I I classify Mark as a combo guard because he does handle, he can bring the ball up. Um, And so I put him and Pinson in the combo guard spot. So if you're really looking for what Missouri has right now, you know, Tamar Bates, I would sort of classify more as a wing at this point, just based on what the roster situation looks like. Now he can handle and he can initiate offense, but anytime like you watch tape of, of Bates, really he's playing downhill as a driver more so than an, 
initiator of offense or a secondary creator in sets. Now, that doesn't mean he couldn't adapt to that role in college, but I, I sort of see him being slotted more as a wing than a combo guard, if that makes any sense, which would then give you um, Anton Brookshire more in that combo guard spot. And like we've talked about, Missouri is... Uh, they haven't offered many... I would say the number of guys they've offered in 2021 at point guard right now only goes to Kennedy Chandler, who um, is at Tennessee. They offered um, Hunter Salas, who is likely headed to a blue blood. They offered Hersey Miller uh, at a Minnehaha Academy in Minnesota. Oh. And then they had Madison Peaster. So if you were looking for traditional point guards, they've only offered, I think, three or four in this class. So I, I've always, I've always and viewed... M- Miller is a guy that really like have no idea where his recruitment stands. He's he's got a he's got a host of like nice looking offers. Uh, I think he's originally like a West Coast kid. He's yeah. Master Master P's son, who I think raised him in the uh, Los Angeles yeah. area. Um, but going to Minnehaha in uh, in Minnesota um, for prep school. So uh, he's a, he's a guy that you know I'm I'm I always sort of look. Um, you know, because he's a he's been kind of quiet, and you'd be surprised that Master P's son isn't out there kind of broadcasting uh, everything that's going on. You know, you would think <laughs> a kid kind of understands, uh, you know, yeah, like how, how to market, and you know, maybe he's just a quiet kid. It's fine. Um, but there really isn't a lot. But when it whenever there is something that comes out uh, on Hersey Miller, like you do see Missouri at least mentioned. Um, so it does like, you don't really know if that's just because they offer, they throw out an offer and they're not even recruiting him anymore. Um, you know, and like this, I think that's one of the things that I tried to kind of communicate to people when I was writing all these, uh, recruiting pieces is, you know, just because a kid has an offer doesn't mean that, you know, he's still being recruited. I mean, it's very possible that two weeks after, uh, Missouri offered him, like they just stopped all communication. You just, you don't know unless, uh, you know, a kid does interviews and he says, hey, like, yeah, like I, I talk to these guys every day and, and uh, you know, I, we, we've had Zoom meetings with, with the coaches and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so there's just, there's just no, saying, no, no telling what's going on with, with, with that guy. So that's, I think that's kind of the point I was going with. Yeah, I think the only thing you could really do if you were to look at the remaining targets right now on the board, um, Caleb Brown put Missouri as we talked about earlier in his final grouping. We'll see if um, he ultimately picks Mizzou. Um, Tamar Bates earlier in the week uh, named a top seven. Uh, Missouri is in that group. Um, and then Sean Dura Gordon, uh, a wing out of uh, New York, named uh, his finalist last weekend and then told reporters that he was going to try and make a decision by the end of this month. So those are three names right there. There are about 15 left on the board right now. And then uh, Blake Wesley has said that Missouri's recruited him and offered him. And, you know, if he could, he would have taken an official visit to Missouri. So I would consider that to be a live recruitment. And then uh, just based on what we've seen, Zach Hicks is being actively recruited a wing out of Cherry Hill, uh, New Jersey. So that's about a handful of guys right there. Really, the question is, um, they offered two other guys, Miles Kelly and James White, um, in the in the past couple of weeks. Um, but really, the question is, where are they with guys like you were mentioning, Hersey Miller? Where are they with guys, you know, where do they stand with Yaya Keita, who, you know, we've 
tossed his name out a bunch, but Kata's recruitment's been kind of quiet for a while. Um, they offered Shane Dezoni a wing uh, out of the East Coast earlier in the spring, or back in June, and where does that stand? Madison Peaster picked up an offer on July 1. Where does that stand? So if you were to look at the rest of the list, and there's guys like Bryce Hopkins and Hunter Salas, who are top 30 kids who seem like they're headed to blue blood. So there's, like like you think, to get back to your piece, there's probably only, what, like maybe 6 to 10 guys that are actively being recruited at any one time. Like, mm-hmm. that are probably out there. And we there are three of them that have named lists, and there are three more that I just ticked off that we feel pretty good about. So really the question will be, I think, moving forward, you know, when does Tamar Bates want to decide? I think that's that's going to be kind of the linchpin decision here for the rest of this class. I think he said that he wants to decide before he goes off to IMG in November. Um, so that is a that's also moving up his timeline. So we're going to start to see the board, you know, really tighten up. But that that's what happens about this time of year. You really start seeing guys, you know, cut lists and trim down where they're going to be, and you can really start to see. Um, who Missouri is seriously courting and, you know, you know, where they are maybe not as focused on the board. So that'll be worth watching over the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm particularly interested in what Dewar Gordon does. Uh, he's been a guy that's seemed like he's going to stay out on the East coast, but, uh, he's been a fast riser this spring. Um, if you were going to take a developmental wing, um, I know, I think you're a little bit more partial to him just cause he's got a little bit more athleticism than Hicks. Um, and has some length. I think he's got like a seven foot wingspan. So he might be just in terms of measurables and in terms of raw uh, ability might be a take for them. So that's, it'll be interesting to sort of see once Brown makes his decision, just what happens over the next couple weeks and how sort of the board continues to shake out. Yeah. And I think obviously there's, they're not going to like move on without, knowing what Tamar Bates is going to do. Um, it, I think at this point, it's clear that they're going to be in it. And it's kind of like, you know, with like Caleb Love. Um, they're going to ride know, that certain, to the end. Yeah, there are certain guys that they're going to take no matter what. Um, you know, but I, I, I do think that there's a possibility that they could, um, you know, I think they're probably looking at uh, one other guard um whether that's a a ball handler i you know i tend to think that what they'll probably do is look for a more mature ball handler in the in the spring and this is all provided that we actually play this season uh, uh, but you know i do think that like for, for example that they'll do what they did with like uh drew bugs where you know they'll try to add some experience at point guard you know whether or not uh you know pinson decides to come back because you're still going to need multiple ball handlers um and even if you have brookshire and bates on board like you still want some experience there um the real question for me is yeah like i think if if you kind of get to the point where uh, let's say you can you can add like another kind of wing prospect along with Bates and Brookshire. Um, it's probably going to li- limit your activity in the spring, but I still think you're going to want to take a ball handler uh, and, and at least one other post. So, um, you know, like we're just, we're at a point where 
guys have to make decisions like that. Guys are going to make decisions. Missouri's going to get, you know, cut from some lists that, you know, maybe we, uh, we're talking about them right now. Uh, but I, I think the, you know, the, the one guy, the very clear guy that we're always going to be talking about, is Bates. and I think Missouri will be in w- until the very end is Bates. And the, on that front, I mean, you look at his list of finalists, he hasn't visited four of them. I, I think if, you know, there's Texas, there's Oregon, there's Alabama, and I can't remember who else is on that list that that's included that he hasn't been able to get to, but um, he has visited Creighton, he has visited Kansas, and he's visited Missouri. Um, you know, we'll see how much that matters in the end. I would think that helps, um, having seen campuses, having, you know, had a, a long-term relationship with those staffs. Those were three of the earliest offers he received. Um, were from the staff. Texas and Alabama have kind of moved in in the spring a little bit. I believe Oregon, too. Um, so, as we always talk about, it's great to make the graphic, but, you know, who's who's really in the mix there? Um, and that's an interesting final three. Um, Creighton has... Uh, Christian Bishop, a KC kid on its roster right now. Um, Creighton's not that far away. It's in Omaha. It's a couple hours away. Um, a little bit farther away than Columbia. Definitely, you know, Lawrence is the closest there. But it'll be interesting, you know, whether or not Kansas's uncertainty as it goes through kind of the process with the NCAA over any violations, um, you know, what that does, if that has a chilling effect or if that makes um, – Bates and his family a little bit skittish, but um, Missouri also, I think, you know, if we're being honest, you know, I don't think, you know, I've talked about, I don't think Consul Martin's in jeopardy this year, but, you know, there's not a, a complete bit of certainty that he will be here all four years. You know, he's got to, I think, put together a pretty good, or at least two competitive seasons to sort of, you know, shore up his long-term stock here. So, that's not the case with, with, you know, McDermott up in Nebraska. You know, they've got, he's pretty settled there. Creighton's going to be a top 20 program the next two years. Um, and so maybe there's just a little bit more certainty to the north. It'll be interesting, though, what what that sort of process looks like. But um, and when, Which is interesting, you know, this is like one of the things that we've talked about is a lot of people, like common wisdom seems to say it's going to come down to Kansas and Missouri, but I think you and I both sort of agree that I, I don't think you can, um, you know, dismiss Creighton that way. Like, you know, people seem to forget that, you know, Creighton has been a really good program for a really long time now, yeah. and they're in a great basketball league. Like, you know, like I realize... Uh, you know, I, I kind of think one of the challenges of, of you know, coaching and, and playing in the SEC is that it's it's still not really viewed, even with the, you know, the huge investment the SEC has made into basketball, it's still not viewed as a basketball league because it will always be a football league. Well, the Big East is only a basketball league, um, you know, and getting to go to, you know, Villanova and Seton Hall, you know, places that, um, you know, Connecticut, where it's going to be, uh, you know, full houses is just about every night. It's going to be a competitive uh, basketball just about every night. It's going to be a, uh, you know, really exciting league um, year in and year out. Uh, and that's another thing that Missouri sort of has to contend with, um, you know, and then obviously, you know, Kansas is, is always going to be Kansas. Um, you know, hopefully that they're, I think, with the situation with Bates, I think that you do sort of hope that, you know, the situation with sanctions sort of scares the family a little bit uh, enough 
uh, to sort of push Tamar, you know, towards either Missouri or, or Creighton, and then you really just weigh on the the relationship that I think you know Martin has has worked to build with him and 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 his his family is is enough to sort of you know pull it out because you know I think he's the kind of guy that um, you know could really be a catalyst for for Missouri being able to kind of build the program that that we all want them to build. Um, you know, looking at these recruiting posts like the last two, three weeks, um, you know, it, it's it's really kind of funny how few and far between these, uh, you know, program-changing, you know, players have kind of come in, but also stuck it out. Uh, you know, I think you talk about guys like Marcus Denman, um, you know, who's a Kansas City kid, as a good example of a, a top 150 guy who came in and granted Missouri, uh, you know, was a little bit healthier uh, Marcus's freshman year than I think uh, they'll be, you know, in tomorrow's freshman year. But, you know, by the time that Marcus was done, um, you know, he was a, what, second team All-American? Um, you know, and really, like, that that's the kind of recruiting luck that Missouri really kind of needs um, to sort of take what has been fairly mediocre for the better part of, you know, 20 years now, um, to find a way to become, you know, a, a sustaining program. And so you take somebody, if you can land somebody like tomorrow, I think it's probably going to help, uh, you be able to build with guys like, uh, like Aiden Shaw. Um, you know, and, and I kind of think that where St. Louis has been really strong, like the last four or five years, I think, Kansas City in the next few years is going to have a lot of players who are in a little bit more of that like gettable range like that 50 to you know 175 range which you know I think like we've always kind of talked like who are the guys that Missouri is going to get once you start once Caleb Love got to you know top 40 and then and then he he obviously kept rising after that but once he hit top 40 then the waters that you're fishing in changes a lot um you're you're you know you're recruiting against you know below 40 you're recruiting against kansas state and and iowa state and places like that versus north carolina and uh and and schools that are far more likely to to pull your guy out so i think if you know, with the next few classes, if if they can find a way to to, uh, to continue the in-state momentum, or not, not that he's in-state, but you know, continue that area momentum with uh, with Bates, I think that's going to help you with some guys in that 2022 class who I think you and I both really like. Yeah, and it'd be nice to sort of I think if you're a coaching staff to get guys in the boat right now, dead periods through the end of this month. I highly doubt we're going to see the dead period get lifted you know, anytime soon. So you, you're not going to be able to host guys. The official visit's probably not going to exist, you know, given what we're even seeing now about plans for football weekends at 25% capacity, no tailgating. We'll see if... Homecoming! <laughs> we'll, we'll see if Columbia can avoid... Not avoid, but we'll see how long MU can stretch out in-person classes. So realistically you know, the visit, the normal cycle that we see in the fall, which would be getting ready to ramp up in the next couple of weeks when we start seeing guys drop visit schedules, isn't going to be there. So I think for, 
you know, the staff, you know, getting, you know, if they could find a way to get Bates and one other person in the boat, you know, before I would say October, you know, I think you'd start to feel, okay, half the class is full. We know we're going to have to go and do some work in the spring, but we got our key guys. We got two of our key guys at positions of need. We can sort of work and adapt from there. And the NCAA right now is just pretty much just granting blanket approval for waivers. And I imagine that next spring we, we would probably see something similar or the immediate eligibility waiver. So if you're Missouri, you know, hunting in spring suddenly, you know, doesn't become a matter of, okay, can we put this off a year? You can really go find some instant impact guys. And um, the other difference is too, I think you're going to see more transfers because guys are having to make decisions in a climate where the traditional recruiting process has been thrown just in complete upheaval. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. We've talked a lot about recruiting this summer just because there, there's been an absence of developments elsewhere, but you know, <laughs> I really, we have no idea. Like normally by now we have a, a schedule. Uh, You're starting yeah, you and I are, are, yeah, we're starting to like work on previews. We're developing, uh, you know, sheets for people to kind of, you know, give us their picks. So you can pick game by game, try to pick winners. Uh, and we've, we've got none of that. Yeah, I think everything's in a holding pattern with some sort of hope that, you know, they are going to be able to have as full of a season as, as you want. Um, you know, which is really kind of a shame. It's like Missouri had built like a really fantastic non-conference schedule, at least for what we knew that was going to be there. Uh, and it was going to be something that I think a lot of people were excited about. Um, not only, you know, playing the bragging rights game, but playing a game against Kansas. Um, you had, yeah, you had, you know, rumors of a deal with Wichita state and, uh, just, uh, the kind of schedule that I think you could get realistically excited about. And now you just don't know if it's going to be played at all. And it probably won't be. Um, yeah, I think that's, I mean, going to be out and <laughs> unless we're going to unless they're going to start trying to go to regional pods which could be a thing but you know would they put kansas and missouri in the same regional pod would you get that matchup like what would that look like if you were to do something like that um i don't know but for now the really only thing that you can think about is you know how they're going to fortify this roster and you know what they're going to be able to do moving ahead and sort of, you know, what can they accomplish, you know, in individual workouts right now. Um, and it's throwing a wrench in other plans. Like if there are, if you're not, you know, doing in-person schooling in like a district like St. Louis or in some districts in Kansas city, are you going to be able to go see open gyms? You know, you know, what's, you know, what does the recruiting landscape look like from that perspective? So right now it really is, you know, you could argue that in some senses the uncertainty has created an opening for them to really try and, you know, throw a lot of, you know, sweat equity behind getting this recruiting class sort of secured. And it's a big one for them. It's a big class. It's one where they're going to have to sort of position, you know, the program for, you know, the next four-year cycle. They're getting ready to come out of one cycle and go into another. So it's, they're in a little bit of a sticky wicket and, you know, you know, I think we're, we're sticky wicket. Yeah. We're, you know, and we're, well, we're running out of, we're, we're in a position where, what do we talk about? You know, we keep hoping, you know, that there's going to be recruiting developments and things are going to see shift. And, you know, I, I keep 
thinking that once they, you know, they, I think if they announce that the, what will be interesting, what happens is, do they announce, does the NLI announce that, hey, we're not doing an early signing period this fall? It's just not feasible. Schools don't know what their scholarship situation is going to be or even what, whether, when they're going to be playing, what eligibility is going to look like. We're going to just push everything off to spring. And so I think you and I have talked about, well, now maybe the, you know, pushing the dead period back has now got some guys thinking they want to commit. If NLI says, hey, we're backing the signing period up to spring, do you see a wave of decommits as guys sort of open it back up? So it's, it's you know, we're, we're trying to talk about, you know, in game out scenarios here, when in reality, no one has any idea what this looks like. Um, well, right, and it's just, I mean, and you know that I'm of the opinion that I, I really wish there was no fall signing period. I wish the National Letter of Intent would just go away. Um, I don't think it's a really productive thing for uh, for the players to basically have to make a commitment without a season having been played. Um, you know, especially when you talk about, like, developmental patterns of 17, 18, 19-year-old kids, uh you know, like there's just no real way to, to know how a season is going to play out, how a player is going to develop. And I don't, and whether or not a coach is going to even be there when, by the time you're signing a, a national letter of intent, that doesn't matter if they, uh, if they get fired or if they, um, if they take another job. Um, I really think that it should be like, I don't know, like you just sign your grant of aid uh, thing and, like in may and that's like the big deal you can make you know if guys want to commit before that they, they can they can have a you know a commitment video they can do all the, the publicity they want but i just think the national letter of intent is is not generally a good thing for student athletes i understand that coaches like it because it locks in their class and if it's a good class it, they can show it off if they have a rough season say hey look i got you know the eighth ranked recruiting class or whatever but um I tend to always be more supportive of the, you know, the athletes in this case. Well, I think and, coaches and, may want it now just because I can empathize. I think Corey Evans wrote something for Rivals where there were coaches basically saying that, like, scouting some of these live streams has just been a royal pain. Like, the quality of basketball in some of them has not been good. Um, sometimes you can't even see the backs of jersey numbers. Um, this this has been the spring and summer where, like, I'm, if there's names, I'm trying to see if they've got stuff on Huddle from their high school season going back to their high school tape because they're probably playing with guys they know in some sort of more structured system uh, with scouted opponents running stuff. So I think if you were a high school coach, you would almost try and you'd almost maybe be in favor and to a certain degree. Now, like you were saying there, you may want the certainty of having guys locked in, but there may also be an upside into having the signing period backed up into the spring because you can, at some point, maybe get eyes out on guys during a prep season if it's possible and really scout them in a more controlled setting and be like, okay, yeah, we still like this guy. So it'll be interesting what happens from that perspective. But um, who knows? We don't even know when we're going to get basketball this, this winter um, or if we're going to get basketball this winter and what that schedule is going to look like. Shrug emoji. Yep, that's our life right now. Um, are you drinking anything right now? I am not. I I have to get up and do a seven miler at five in the morning, so I am abstaining. You're trying to like you know get all healthy and in shape for your wedding. 
No, no, I, no, I, uh, I just enjoy running. I ran in high school. I, uh, I've done. I don't enjoy running. That's a shame. That's a shame. No, hip. I ran cross country in high school too, and then I stopped after my sophomore year because it was terrible. So that took the opposite tack. I could no longer play basketball, so I had to, I had to pick a sport where I could survive and not get murdered trying to take a charge. So I, uh, I picked cross country. And ru- running for long distances at a steady pace was for you. Oh yeah, yeah, I love it. Wish All I, right. wish I could go back and still be healthy enough to do full blown half marathons. Wish I was still in good enough shape to do those. Those were fun. But uh, no, I'm gonna get up in the morning and do that because we have we're going on vacation next week and we have things to do to uh, prep for that. And so um, I don't have time in the evening tomorrow to go for a run. So I'm going to flip it and do my workout in the morning, thus not drinking right now. And you're, uh, you do have um, some stuff in the works. You want to, uh, you yeah. want to tease anything that, that might be coming? Uh, Cause I don't look, know what I'm going to write. I've, I've got, I've got stuff to write this weekend. I have no idea what I'm going to write. Uh, I, I'm working on uh having to tweak uh, every uh, the piece that I'm working on about the top returners in the SEC. Isaiah Joe leaving kind of threw a wrench in some things. Uh, I had I had watched film on every guy, and then uh, Isaiah That was left. the right decision for him, though. I mean, it's Oh, just... it was absolutely the right call for him. Um, I, it, it just it forced me to rejigger some things in terms of um, where guys were slotted. Um, but hey... Jaden Shackelford moving up, and I really wish people would talk about Jaden Shackelford more. Uh, I really like him. I think he's one of the not getting enough buzz going into next season. I think uh, he's one of the reasons why I'm really high on Alabama. I really like um, him and Petty paired together. I think that they're that they're probably going to be one of the better wing duos in the conference. But um, I had to move him up, and then I'm also trying to figure out what to do with a bunch of data I've been working on about um, how guys evolve as three point shooters. Um, Missouri didn't shoot the ball well last year. That's not news to anybody. But, you know, everybody, everyone talks about will they bounce back next year. Uh, so I looked at um, top guards, or wings, I should say, who were top 200 recruits over the last eight years, which is when Missouri joined the SEC and tried to just loosely track their shooting patterns. Um, and uh, bad news, folks, is uh, guys get better, but they get less better over time. So, uh It'll be interesting to see, and that's in. I may take a look at how that relates to Torrance Watson because Torrance basically uh, outplayed his recruiting ranking. He shot the ball at the level that you'd expect from a top 40 recruit as a freshman, and then just the bottom fell out as a sophomore. And so, uh, bouncing back uh, may be more modest than people expect next year. So, I'm trying to figure out what to do with that piece. But uh, those are two things I have in the work uh, SEC returners and then evaluating the development of three-point shooters well there is a lot of content going on at rockham nation um this week they're still uh, trying to play football they're still trying and we're we're proceeding forward like there's going to be football um even even though i think everybody um at least behind the scenes like i think we're all kind of in agreement that it's unlikely that we're actually going to get football i just think it's possible that we may get get a few games, but at some point, I think there's going to be like a breakout on one team. They're going to be like, ah, shit! Like that's just gonna, it throws a wrench into all the plans. Um, but we are gonna we are gonna keep um, previewing the uh, the season and uh, and 
just pretend like it's going to happen. So uh, there's a lot of really good stuff. We've uh, introduced new to uh, our two new uh, beat writers, and Jacob Giancola and Corte Vincent, or sorry, Cortai Vincent. Um, both of those guys are doing a really good job. Um, They're all over the Zoomies, all over the Zoomie calls, all over it. Yeah, yeah, the 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 Zoom calls are always fun. Um, so we've got that. We've got uh, all kinds of previewing content. If you uh, if you hadn't read my uh, my recruiting treatises over like the last three weeks, uh, I encourage you to do that. It was basically an exploration of the history of Missouri recruiting, uh, and I think I'm going to write something. Uh, well, yeah, I think I'm going to finish it up this week with basically saying, like, you know, how Missouri might be able to take what's worked in the past and apply it to uh, this recruiting class. Um, I think the last piece kind of set that up a little bit. But um, also, Karen had a really interesting thing. Uh, I don't know if you saw, like, there was a... Um, Skoda. The assistant athletic director of mental performance. Um is is who did a zoom call and karen attended that and took some notes and wrote a thing that was really really pretty interesting on like the the mental health side of athletics which i think is something that that a lot of us aren't really considering when you're talking about uh you know the impact of not playing games is is what that does really to the athlete and how the athlete's going to handle that um you know i think when you look at like the big 10 having already said that they're going to cancel the season and the the pushback that has come from the athletes who are saying that, you know, they want to play, uh, you know, and I think the main reason for that is because that's, that's how they're wired. Like they're wired, you know, to prepare and then play. Uh, and when you take away the, the play part, like there's just endless preparation. And for anyone who's been, uh, you know, in like that last week of practice after you've been like beating on each other, uh for weeks when you have games that are like just beyond your reach like that's like the worst like week week and a half of practice when there's like you're you're almost there and that's like where like guys in uh you know the the big 10 and then the pac 12 they're in that state permanently right now because they don't know when their next game's going to be but they're still preparing to play um at least the SEC, the ACC, uh, you know, Big Twelve, like they're all pretending like they're going to play. So, um, it's 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 an interesting thing to to sort of read and talk about. So, uh, yeah, all kinds of content at Rock Nation. Everybody go there. Uh, BK and and Nate will be back in a few days because we're actually recording a little bit later uh, in the week. This is Thursday. Um, sorry, everybody, I had a shit day well, yesterday, and I just did not want to talk about Missouri basketball. Um, so here we are tonight, Thursday. I think Nate and BK will be uh, back on Tuesday. So quick turnaround. You'll have more Rock Nation podcasting. Uh, Matt, you got anything else? Uh, no, I'm just excited to unplug next week in the uh, hills of Tennessee. So that is well. Uh, follow Matt then uh, through his uh, adventures in Gatlinburg. Um you can follow me uh, on, on Twitter as well, Sam P. Snelling. Uh, I will be actually heading to the Daniel Boone National Forest in October, um, hoping that we'll, we'll get some, some leaf changes around that time. should be interesting. 
so we'll be back in a couple weeks to talk more Mizzou hoops. Hopefully something uh, has happened. Um, so until then, thank you.